For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me here in the middle of the week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow me on social media. My Instagram is at Monica Crowley underscore for photos, clips about this show, news about this show, news about me, what's coming up, at Monica Crowley underscore on Instagram, and on Twitter and Truth Social, at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. Let me know what's on your mind. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. I read all of your emails, and at the end of most shows, including today, I'm going to bring you some of your emails. So if you want to hear me read one of your emails, you got to send me one, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Oh, also a big mention about Friday's show. On Friday, we are going to have so much fun because we're going to have a really big show. We're going to have with us our friend, country music superstar, John Rich. John Rich is going to be here for an extended interview. We're going to talk to him about a whole bunch of things, including his latest projects like Rednick Riviera. And we're going to talk to him about the state of America and the state of the world. And as you can imagine, John Rich has a lot to say about all of that. So a very special and fun interview with the one and only John Rich. That is coming up right here on Friday. You don't want to miss it. Today, I want to deal with how they lied to us about the economy. Joe Biden. 
Kamala Harris, Secretary Yellen, uh, Jerome Powell, they all lied. They all lied for well over a year and a half. And now they're like, whoops, our bad. I want to get into that because there has to be some accountability somewhere. I also want to talk about the rot all around us in America, the corruption, the double standard for justice, the failures of our leadership and our institutions, thanks to decades of leftist assault. We are in a very precarious moment for the future of the country, and I do want to take that apart. Also, we're going to talk to former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy about the Michael Sussman trial and that outrageous but entirely predictable not guilty verdict and what this means for the Durham investigation and for getting at the truth of the Russia hoax. Plus, as I said, your emails. But first, the Monica memo, which is really a new edition of How Deep is the Swamp? I think we're going to have to set some music to it. Remember the old Bee Gees song, How Deep is Your Love? I think now we're going to have to make it, How deep is the swamp? How deep is the swamp? I really need to know. We're going to work on that. I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you to lower your expectations. Remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about Sussman and this trial and the Durham investigation, and I continue to tell you, lower your expectations because corruption in this country now is so deep and it's so entrenched that you, you can't really get justice, particularly when you're talking about highly charged, politically sensitive cases like this one. So I tried to warn you. The Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, uh, the special counsel, John Durham, brought the case. He brought it to trial in Washington, D.C., which we're going to discuss in a moment. Uh, And Durham charged him with lying to the FBI when he said that he was delivering the Russia lies on behalf of himself. He said he was just a concerned citizen, afraid that Donald Trump was a Russian asset and a traitor to America. So he was just doing this out of the goodness of his heart. That's what he claimed when he brought these lies to the FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, the press, just a regular concerned citizen who so loves America that he was just really worried about Donald Trump. Well, of course, he he said he was not working on behalf of any client, when of course he was working for the ultimate client, Hillary Rodham Clinton, Mrs. Clinton's campaign. He was directly on their payroll, being paid by them. I mean, come on. So he was spreading all of the lies on her behalf. And that was made really clear over the course of this trial. They had mountains of direct evidence showing that he was working for the Hillary campaign, lied to the FBI when he said he was not working on behalf of any client. But a jury in Washington decided yesterday that he was not guilty. As I have been telling you here, the swamp is so deep that there were conflicts of interest all over the place. I think I I may have been the first one to bring it to you, or one of the first, that the judge in this case, Christopher Cooper, he is an Obama appointee. That's number one. Number two, He was married to his wife by the current Attorney General Merrick Garland, 
who sits atop the DOJ and the FBI. Merrick Garland married this judge to his wife. His wife also happens to be Lisa Page's lawyer. I also brought this to you. Lisa Page of Struck and Page Lover Infamy. That Lisa Page, his wife represented her, probably continues to represent her. Meanwhile, the jury, jury had three Hillary donors on it, an AOC donor on it, and another juror's daughter is currently on a soccer team with Sussman's daughter. Prosecutors used all objections, but it didn't matter. This is Washington, D.C. Washington is a deep, deep swamp where they all know and protect each other, and often they're literally sleeping with each other. It's a pit. Washington is also the deepest blue area in the country. It voted 93% for Hillary, 93% for Rodham. So that's your jury pool. No Republican has ever been cleared in a criminal trial in Washington, D.C. since 1976. So we have to stop agreeing to hold trials there and move them on out. We will never get a fair jury in Washington. That is just the truth. And I remember early on when we started talking about this on this podcast, I kept saying, I hope they can be impartial. Remember they were saying during the voir dire, they were like, oh, yeah, I gave some money to Hillary. One guy was like, yeah, I worked on her uh, 2008 campaign. I mean, working on the campaign in 08, uh, giving her money, supporting her left and right. But they were asked in the voir dire, do you think you can be impartial? And they're like, yeah, I guess, yeah. And I remember telling you guys, I hope they can be but the likelihood they can be is nil. And of course, I was right, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to have figured that out. We're never going to get a fair shake in Washington. And that is just the truth. So we need to be a lot smarter and more strategic about how we go about these things. The next trial that Durham is bringing against Dushenko, uh, who helped to create the Steele dossier, the pack of lies that they packaged and then sold to everybody. That's coming up in Virginia in the fall. So maybe, maybe we can get a fair shake there. Who knows? But we do have to approach this in a much smarter and more strategic way, the way they do. And another point about this, we have to stop trying to look like the good guys. We are the good guys, but we have to stop bending over backwards like, well, okay, this juror who just gave a bunch of money and worked on the Hillary campaign is telling me that uh, she can be impartial. Okay, I'm going to just take that at surface level and be good with that. No, no. And I know Durham tried. I know he tried. But we got to fight fire with fire. We are the good guys. But we have to stop being like, oh, we're better than they are. So, you know, what, what do we do if um, we start looking like them or using their tactics? I'm not talking about anything illegal or anything unethical. I'm just talking about fighting fire with fire. That's it. And if you won't, then get out of the way for someone who will. We cannot go on like this.
as a country, as a functioning republic, we cannot go on like this with this outrageous, disgusting, double standard of justice. The ruling class breaks laws all over the place. And even if you're not ruling class, if you're on the left, like Antifa, BLM, you have no problem. You're, you're going to skate. And in fact, the ruling class will bail you out of jail like they did with the BLM and the Antifa terrorists. Kamala Harris was hip deep in that. So the ruling class can break all manner of laws and they skate. And not only do they skate, they thrive. This guy Sussman is probably working on a CNN or MSNBC deal right now. But the subjects of the ruling class, we get our lives ruined. And yes, we are subjects now. You know, people were heading into the Queen's Platinum Jubilee and everybody's like, oh, people are like, abolish the monarchy. It's outdated. We hate being subjects. Well, I don't think that's going anywhere in the UK. I think the Queen and the monarchy are going to be fine. But here, where we're supposed to have a representative democracy, a republic, we have now become subjects. We're subjects now. This is supposed to be a government by, for, and of the people. It is not. It's ruling class versus its subjects, you and me. And this is an existential threat to our country. It's been going on for a while. Didn't just happen. But the corruption, the corruption of the ruling class, and I include the propaganda press in this, they're like termites. You know how termites eat at the foundation for a long time, and you don't see the damage until one day a small gust of wind goes by and the whole thing comes tumbling down. That's where we are in America. And you know what? Final comment on this. You know what? This might be more than anything else apart from the rigged 2020 election. This might be what's going to push Trump to run again. And I do think he's running. I think he's running anyway. But this Michael Sussman acquittal and the fact that none of these people, none of these criminals from Obama to Biden to Hillary to Comey, Brennan, McCabe, Strzok, Page, uh, you name it, Clapper, Brennan, none of these people are going to be held accountable. So just let's just take that off the table right now. Let's just stipulate none of these people are going to federal prison. They all deserve to go there. They belong there, given these crimes, but none of them will face justice. Let's just stipulate that. If one of them does, well, we'll party then. We'll appreciate that moment because we will not expect it. Again, lower your expectations, which is sad in America, but here we are. But I do think... Trump is going to run again for a whole variety of reasons, but this, not this Russia hoax, even maybe more than the rigged 2020 election, this is the thing that they weaponized for years to try to destroy him. Okay? Crippled his candidacy, crippled his presidency. Imagine, I mean, he did incredible stuff while he was president. Amazing. Booming economy and world peace. Imagine what he could have done 
without the shackles of the Russia hoax. That dogged him, continues to dog him for what, five years? Six years? Seven years. So this, the fact that this double standard of justice is letting all these people go um, and get away with it, I think this, probably even more than the last election, is the thing that is going to push him over to run. Remember during the White House Correspondents' Dinner years ago when Obama was president and Trump was sitting in the audience and Obama was making fun of him and Trump wasn't laughing? A lot of people say it was at that moment where Trump decided he was going to run for president. I'll show you. I'll just go do it and I'll win. And he did. So in this situation, I think this might be the thing. First, he got screwed out of re-election with a rigged game. And now, no one is going to be held accountable for rigging the system against his 2016 campaign and his entire presidency. So, I think this could be the tipping point for Donald Trump, but it's also a tipping point for the rest of the country. When we come back, we're going to have a very smart conversation with former federal prosecutor, Andy McCarthy, who's going to break apart this entire uh, case and tell us what is coming up next for the Durham investigation and the hunt for justice. Also, later, I want to talk about the economy and the fact we've been lied to for a year and a half about the economy from our so-called leaders, plus your emails. I'm Monica Crowley. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, welcome back. Now I want to welcome former federal prosecutor and my dear friend, Andy McCarthy. Andy writes for National Review and the New York Post, among others. And his latest book, which was now published about three years ago now, way ahead of its time, was called Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. 
And like I said, this book, three years ago, way ahead of its time in exposing Mrs. Clinton and the Russia hoax against President Trump. Andy, welcome. Monica, great to be with you. Oh, it's so great to talk with you again. And uh, I'm glad I now have this podcast so I can have you back on the air all the time with me. Uh, I wanted to have you on today because, as I said, you know, you published this book three years ago called Ball of Collusion, which was the perfect title for this plot against then-candidate Trump and then-President Trump. Uh, This hoax that went on for years and not just undermined his presidency, but really tore at the very fabric of the country and divided us in ways that were inconceivable uh, before the 2016 election. So now we've got this first trial that is now ended. It's trial of a man named Michael Sussman, who has been acquitted on the charge of lying to the FBI that he was acting on behalf of no client, just an average citizen very concerned about candidate Trump, who might be a Russian asset. And oh, by the way, here's a pack of evidence that you might want to look into when, in fact, he was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign. So a jury in Washington acquits him this week. Your reaction to the not guilty verdict? I think there's two aspects to it, Monica, that are worth noting. One is just the way the trial was convened. You had an Obama-appointed judge who had deep ties uh, to Clinton world, um, who, for whatever reason, not only thought that he was the right judge to preside over the case, but when he picked the jury, he didn't think it was necessary to exclude people who were unabashedly partisan Democrats. He figured if he could just tell them that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were not on trial, that that would somehow remove the political overtones from the case, when in point of fact, there wouldn't have been a case without Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And the whole thing was about a Democratic dirty trick aimed at the Republican presidential candidate. So how the judge thought that he had removed the political element from the trial is beyond me. Uh, But I think probably the deeper lesson here. You were kind enough to mention my book. What I argued in the book was what made Russiagate particularly scandalous and one of the worst political scandals uh, in modern American history was the collaboration between the government investigative and intelligence agencies and the political campaign of Hillary Clinton, that is putting government power in the service of Democratic Party politics. And I think the problem with Durham's case and his investigation, and I say this as an admirer of Durham, I know him a little bit and I like him, but you know, you have to make up your mind at the beginning of this what you think the role of the FBI is. And I think if he continues to proceed on the theory that they're a dupe rather than a collaborator, He's going to have a very tough time with these cases. Yes, and that is that's a huge point. And you wrote a piece yesterday in the New York Post that is fantastic on this point. That Durham made a decision of treating the FBI like a victim rather than as a, a collaborator in this hoax and a collaborator in these crimes. And in a way, you know, it, it has protected the FBI and shielded them when they were, of course, a central player. I want to get to that in a second. But your first point, um, Andy, I think a lot of people are concerned that d- did the prosecution, did the Durham team 
try to, did they ask for a recusal of this judge, given the fact he is an Obama appointee? That's number one. But number two, he was married to his wife by the current Attorney General Merrick Garland, and his wife represents Lisa Page of the FBI. Uh, Did Durham not ask for a recusal there? Uh, He did not ask for a recusal, Monica. Now, you know, to be fair to, to Durham, um, it's slim pickings for Republicans in Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, you could get rid of this judge and get another one who, you know, would have a lot of the same problems. But, you know, one of the things I pointed out to people is that Judge Cooper, his name is Christopher Cooper, known as Casey. Um, he clerked and you and I will will remember this from back when um, he clerked for a guy by the name of Abner Mikva who was a judge of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The year after the clerkship, Mikva went to the Clinton White House to become the White House counsel to President Clinton. And uh, Cooper himself went to the Clinton Justice Department to be a special assistant to to Jamie Gorelick, who was the uh, deputy attorney general. So his ties to the Clinton world go way, way back. And as you point out, his wife, uh, was the assistant for, I think, counterterrorism to Eric Holder when Holder ran the Justice Department. And then, of course, he was put on the bench by uh, President Obama. So this was not really a home game for Durham, that's for sure. So you're saying that Judge Cooper is probably the best of all really bad options for Durham? So so that I'm raises... Just, just, no, Go ahead. I, all I mean is that if you if you, um, if you try to knock a judge out, you better knock him out because <laughs> yeah. if he doesn't leave, then you get to keep him. And if you get someone else who's just as bad, you're probably going to be just in his bad shape. Yeah, or you could get someone worse. That's true. But that prompts the question, Andy, why didn't Durham ask for a change of venue and get the heck out of Washington, D.C.? Well, the problem is the Constitution there. I mean, the venue in this case, the false statement was made in Washington, D.C., and the defendant has a constitutional right to be tried where the where the crime allegedly occurs. So, Monica, in most of those cases, it's usually the defendant who moves to get a change of venue because it's the defendant's right to be tried in the place where the crime allegedly occurs. You don't really see the government do that too often. Mm, well, and the defendant certainly didn't want to ask for a change of venue. Ninety three percent of Washington, D.C. voted for Hillary Clinton. So there you have it. Well, over the course of this trial, Andy, uh, we saw irrefutable direct evidence that, in fact, he did lie to the FBI. We had text messages, receipts showing that he was actually billing the Hillary Clinton campaign, all admitting to to this lie, and yet he was acquitted. I've heard a lot of people talk about jury nullification. Do you think that was true here? I think that may be part of it. Usually when something like this happens, Monica, there's not like one silver bullet answer. But if I had to pick one thing, I would say that in any false statements case, you have to prove two things. One, which you've uh, pointed out here in spades, is the falsity of the statement. And I don't think there's any doubt among reasonable people that that Durham proved convincingly that uh, Sussman made a false statement. The second element is usually referred to as materiality. Um, what I what I say when I try to explain this to especially to non-lawyers is the idea is that the person that you tell the lie to has to be fooled by it. You know, it has to make a difference to the person's calculations. And to my mind, 
what Sussman did here is better thought of as a cover story than a false statement in the sense that if he had gone into the FBI and say, I'm Michael Sussman of the Clinton campaign, and I'd like you to take this opposition research we've come up with and open a criminal investigation based on it against our political opponent, even the FBI would probably have shied away from that because it would have been too overtly political. So he goes in with this kind of nod, nod, wink, wink story like, oh, I'm just a former government official who really cares about national security. I'm really worried about the country. This has nothing to do with politics. And here's this information that I, Michael Sussman of the Clinton campaign, are bringing to you that just happens to line up perfectly with the Democratic Party narrative about our opponent in the election, which is coming up in just six weeks, by the way. Um, And, you know, the FBI takes this information and what headquarters basically did was hide where it came from, even from its own agents, because it would have been so obvious that they had taken partisan political information uh, that, you know, the people who evaluated it would have rejected it out of hand. So I think that's what happened with the FBI. They weren't fooled here. They were the Clinton campaign was pushing on an open door. So we need to see the FBI go on trial. What's the likelihood of that? Well, I'm, I'm writing about that for the weekend uh, at National Review. I do a, a column every weekend. And my theory, I, I wonder what you think of this, Monica. My, my theory for this weekend is if you really want to get to the bottom of this, what you have to do is indict Hillary Clinton. Yes. And I'm not saying that she did anything indictable here, at least this time. She did. Um, but but whether she did or she didn't, my, my point is, If you indict Hillary Clinton, she will then turn her phalanx of cutthroat lawyers loose on the FBI, the Justice Department, the government. She'll do all the things that Sussman's lawyers did in this case and that, you know, Durham won't do. You know, Durham is looking hard at Hillary's campaign, but he's he's kind of looking over the government actors. And I think, you know, what happened here, what what makes what happened here scandalous is the combination of the political campaign with the with the law enforcement and intelligence factors. Yes. Oh, I can't wait to read your column about indicting Hillary. That'll be a national review over the weekend. Everybody, please go check that out. I can't wait. I'll probably have you back next week, Andy, to talk about it. What about the key FBI players? You know, the people really at the top, Comey, McCabe, then you had Strzok and Page. Will cases ever be brought against them, do you think? Monica, it doesn't look like that, does it? No. Given what Durham's theory is. What, what Durham's now brought three cases, and all of them are lying to the FBI. So he's taking the position that uh, the FBI was duped, not that it was complicit. And I would point out that the first case he brought was against an FBI lawyer. So according to Durham's theory, even the FBI is duped by the FBI. But like in, in no instance does he say that the FBI was collaborating with the Clinton campaign or that it committed a fraud on the court when it brought information that it hadn't verified and under oath sought uh, surveillance warrants from the FISA court. So, you know, I, I, I just think the most disturbing aspects of this are not really getting, we'll have to see what his final narrative reports is, but for, as far as the prosecutions are concerned, 
Uh, it doesn't look like he's going after the most disturbing aspects to this. Unbelievable, which means we may never get to the bottom of the truth, at least not with uh, evidence being aired. And, you know, I've been saying this on the show, Andy, that perhaps the only silver lining to come out of this is you're starting to build a public record of the evidence. It's starting to be aired. So even if we don't get convictions in these cases, at least the evidence is, is out there. What do you think is next for John Durham? Where does he go from here? And is there political pressure already starting to build to shut him down? Yeah, I, you know, first, we know that the next thing here is he's got a trial in October against this guy, Igor Danchenko, who was one of the uh, who was the principal source on the bogus steel dossier. And I think he'll have a, a, at least he'll have a better uh, time with that in the sense of um, the case will be in the Eastern District of Virginia rather than Washington, D.C., but he's still proceeding from the premise that uh, the FBI was duped. The charges that the, this guy lied to the FBI about his sources of information. And I think he may very well prove that they did lie to the FBI about his sources of information. But at the same time, the FBI used this guy's information twice under oath in the FISA court before they ever even interviewed him. And they never tried to verify the information was correct. They didn't corroborate it in any way. And on its face, a lot of the information was preposterous. Yeah, well, they didn't want to verify it because the people at the top knew it was fake and they ran with it anyway as a, a, a way to weaponize the FBI and these pack of lies to undermine and then ultimately destroy Donald Trump. I mean, this I, I worked for President Nixon in the last years of his life. We talked a lot about Watergate. This makes Watergate look like tiddlywinks. Andy, I mean, it, it, this is the worst, most dangerous political scandal I think we've ever faced in the country. And my final question to you is, it, you know, the American public watches these trials and here's the name, the names Kleinsmith or Sussman or Dushenko. And they're like, who are these people? It was the people at the top who cooked up this pack of lies and then executed the crime. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, John Brennan, James Clapper, James Comey. Will any of these people ever be accountable for this and face justice for their crimes? Yeah, I think that it's two different things, Monica. They may be accountable in the sense that Durham at the end will write a narrative report and we'll get to see what that says. Um, so you'll have some political accountability maybe, but I think you know, to the extent people are hoping or, or waiting for like the big indictment that, that puts all of this together, I just don't see it happening because if he's proceeding from the theory that the FBI was a victim here rather than a participant, I, I don't see how you make the big case here without saying there was collaboration between the government actors and the law enforcement and intelligence officials. If you don't have that, then what's the big case? Otherwise, it's just like a big political dirty trick. Right? Yeah, right. Right. You're exactly right. And they have to prove it in a court of law. But Durham's big mistake here is in shielding the FBI from all of this because it's going to frame everything else. And you are absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Appreciate you. Monica, great talking to you. You bet. Former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy. Back in a flash. All right, welcome back. I want to turn our attention now to uh, an immediate and urgent problem facing all of us, which is the state of the U.S. economy. The Biden economy sucks. We all know it sucks, and it's not getting any better. In fact, 
it's likely to get worse. We're likely to slide into a recession here. I think, I know a lot of people uh, dispute that, but a lot of people also agree with me that uh, times are looking very dark and there's no movement to actually fix anything. So yesterday, Joe Biden must have seen the poll numbers, especially on the economy. I mean, he is now at the lowest point of any president at this point in their presidency. Lower than anybody. So congratulations, Joe Biden. And a huge reason of that, if not the main reason of that, is we now have a weakening economy contracted in the first quarter by a lot, negative 1.5%. We've got skyrocketing inflation. Inflation's running at a 40-year level, 8.3%. Although if we use the metric from 40 years ago, inflation would be running 17, 18, 19%. And of course, nobody has to tell you this because every time you go out to buy anything, it's a lot more expensive and you're getting squeezed. We all are. Sky high gas prices, supply chain crisis, where you can't even get baby formula and and other things, and an ongoing labor crunch. So businesses still can't get help. All of these things, perfect storm. Last year, the government spent about $7 trillion. $7 trillion that we don't have and can't afford. So it's no wonder that we're in this big inflationary environment and everybody's getting squeezed. Oh, but Monica, wages are up. Yeah, wages are up because now you're in a wage and price spiral, which is like a death spiral when it comes to inflation. Yeah, your wages might be up, but on average, they're up about... 2 to 3%. Inflation is running at 8.3%. That means all of your gains are being wiped out. Not only wiped out, you're actually in the hole. So this is where we are. And Biden must have seen the poll numbers with the economy driving it on this because he hauled Jerome Powell, head of the Fed, and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen into the Oval to discuss with them inflation. Now, th- this is the main killer This is the main political killer for Biden and the Democrats going into November. So you would think he'd be a little bit more passionate about speaking about inflation and how the American people are suffering, but you would be wrong. So yesterday he sat in there with uh, Yellen and Powell. He was half asleep and he was reading from note cards his staff gave him and he was just, he was pathetically lethargic. Listen. My plan is to address inflation. It starts with a simple proposition. Respect the Fed. Respect the Fed's independence, which I have done and will continue to do. My job as president is not to uh, nominate, highly, not only nominate highly, highly qualified individuals for that institution, but to give them the space they need to do their job. I'm not going to interfere with their critically important work. The Fed has dual responsibilities. One, full employment. Two, stable prices. Chair Powell and other leaders of the Fed have noted at this moment they have a laser focus on addressing inflation, just like I am. And with a larger complement of board members now confirmed, I know we'll use those tools of monetary policy to address the rising uh, prices for the American people. So I look forward to uh, Chairman Powell's continued leadership at the Fed, and I look forward to the Senate considering my final nominee to the board, uh, Michael Barr, in the near future. I mean, could he spare it? Could he just gin up like half a modicum of energy 
to discuss inflation, which is killing all of us? No. So Biden also had an op-ed in yesterday's Wall Street Journal on his, quote, plan to stop inflation, which is no plan. Or the plan is more spending. I'm not kidding. He actually, he and the Democrats want trillions of dollars more uh, for their leftist wish list, including the uh, forgiving of student debt and so on. I mean, (laughs) their idea of fixing inflation is pumping trillions of dollars of more money into the economy. No mention of doing the things that would actually start to mitigate inflation. One, stop spending. Two, reduce government. Three, cut the rate of increase in spending. Every year, government spending goes up, but if you can slow the rate of spending, that would also be helpful. And finally, remove the shackles from America's domestic energy producers to get our energy production back online. If you get energy flowing again, you cut gas prices. You reduce the price of everything because energy is built into everything. The cost of energy is built into everything. So if you bring energy costs down, you bring down the cost of everything. Basic economics, that's how it's done. And if you add that to Fed action, raising interest rates, uh, slowing asset purchases, all to mop up all of this excess money sloshing around the system, then you might start to see some progress making a dent in inflation. The Fed is starting to do some of this, raising rates and so on, but they're over a year too late. Everybody likes easy money. Every president likes easy money. Keep rates low. Keep the economy lubricated and going. Everybody likes easy money until it comes back to bite you because the laws of economics are hard and fast. There's no spinning economics and they can try all day long, but the reality is right there and there's no movement. Okay. You got $1, you spend $1. Now you got $0. You can't go buy anything. So everybody loves uh, an easy money policy until it comes back to bite you. Janet Yellen yesterday was on CNN. Here's our Treasury Secretary saying, oh, whoops, my bad. Is there a risk of inflation? Um, I, I think there's a small risk and I think it's manageable. I don't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem, but it is something that we're watching very carefully. Was it a mistake, Madam Secretary, to downplay this inflation risk? Did that contribute to the problems we're all seeing right now? Well, um, look, I I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted uh, energy and food prices and um, supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't, at the time, didn't fully understand. Whoops, my bad. This is your Treasury Secretary who is in charge of ensuring a strong, healthy economy. She's saying, oh, I didn't, I didn't see inflation coming. And I I didn't understand. She is also, by the way, the former head of the Fed. So you don't give me this, Janet Yellen. Oh, I didn't get it. Yeah, made a mistake, misjudged 
inflation. I didn't understand. You understood. They all understood. They're not stupid. They're leftists and misguided, but they're not dumb. Come on. For over a year and a half, I've been all over Fox Business, and I know a fraction of what Janet Yellen knows, and I was screaming about inflation, as was Larry Kudlow and a number of other people, and we were warning it is going to get entrenched. Stop spending. Raise rates. Mop up this money. Stop these asset purchases, which were going at the time about $120 billion a month, a month. And then they're like, oh... Yeah, we we thought it was going to be transitory, but yeah, it wasn't, and it isn't. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have this pack of lying losers who are trying to take the entire country off the cliff, all of us included. There is no accountability, except if you're a Republican. I was saying this last night on Laura Ingram because we were talking about this. Unless you're a Republican in office... There is no accountability. All of these people should be fired. Biden, Harris, Powell, Yellen, they should all be fired. Powell was just renominated to a second term. Janet Yellen's not going anywhere, and you got to wait till 24 to get rid of uh, the two at the top. They won't be fired. They were all spreading the same lie, and they knew it was a lie. The swamp protects each other. Can you imagine for one second if this were my old boss, Secretary Mnuchin? I mean, Mnuchin sneezed wrong and people were calling for him to resign. I know, I was there. Yellen says she misjudged inflation for a year and a half and she's fine. She cool. Disgusting. They should all be fired. But again, they won't be. Only in Washington and only on the left, people fail up. They get rewarded for making massive mistakes that affect all of us and, in fact, affect the world because America goes down with inflation. Guess what? The rest of the world goes down with inflation as well. Brand new Gallup poll out this week showing Americans' confidence in the U.S. economy is at its lowest point since the end of the Great Recession in 2009. It's even lower than it was in 2020 when the entire economy was shut down. That confidence measure, that's important. Why? Because it's forward-looking. It means people do not expect things to get better, and in fact, they know it's not going to get better. And it's not. Because the left, the people in charge, are absolutely committed to this track of fundamentally transforming the economy and the nation. They're not going to change. So buckle up, strap in, and I'm glad that you're with me because we're going to go on this journey together. All right, sit tight. When we come back, your emails. Okay, as we wrap up the show on this Wednesday, we've got a bunch of your emails. Keep them coming in to me. I read them all, and I might read one of yours on the show. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Jay has thoughts on the show music. Monica, I have to be honest. My first impression of the music was, it's okay. Maybe it'll grow on me. Overall, I listen for the content, not the music. However, you really do want the music to make a statement. Well, Jay, I hope you're enjoying the new music 
and the podcast. I'm so glad that you're listening. Thanks very much. Harold also has thoughts on the new music and on my first boss. He writes, hi, Monica. The new music is awful. (laughs) The old music grew on me and it was a good choice. Now, as for Nixon, you and I like and admire him, but many people do not. Would like to hear you do a segment on his last days in office and leave us all liking and respecting him. Love your podcast. Have listened to them all. Well, thank you, Harold. I'm so glad that you're enjoying the show, and I hope the new music has grown on you. And as for President Nixon, he was an extraordinary leader and man and friend and mentor to me, and I will be sharing a lot more about him on this podcast, so stay tuned. JC also has thoughts about President Nixon. He writes, so glad you have a podcast because I drive a lot for work. I remember reading one of President Nixon's books and feeling bad not only for him, but especially for his family. The media were despicable then, and they've only gotten worse. President Nixon is like a sick trophy to these a-holes. I did hear someone say it was payback for Alger Hiss. Perhaps you could unpack that one on your great new podcast. Well, thank you, JC. So happy that you're enjoying the podcast, and you are correct. President Nixon was a sick trophy for the deep state. Sound familiar? We just had another one. And like Harold, you'd like to hear more about President Nixon, and I promise I will give you guys more. He was just extraordinary, and every American needs to know that. Okay, guys, thank you so much for these phenomenal emails. I read and appreciate them all, so keep them going. Again, that's Podcast at gmail.com. I may very well read yours on the air. Appreciate you guys. All right, on Friday, a really big show coming up with country music superstar, John Rich. He will be here, and you don't want to miss it. Make it a great day, and I'll see you on Friday. 